Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 5. And I'll be reading the entire chapter for us. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen, the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation... You shall be clothed with purple, and have a chain of gold around your neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered, and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, 
and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whoever and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar, then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. So we have been considering this book of Daniel for the past six weeks. This is the sixth message um, in that series. And we've been considering, as we've gone through this book, the impact of his God, his life. And again, we'll be talking about the impact of his writing in just another couple weeks from now as we get into the prophetic portions of it. But... As we've considered the impact of his God and the impact of his life, we've seen how that has played out primarily in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, how that God was revealing himself in a mighty way to this mighty king, to he who was the most powerful man on the earth. In fact, as um, Chuck just read from this, hopefully you, you heard, and we'll talk about very briefly in the midst of this as we talk about Daniel's words to Belshazzar, but in that, Daniel states that Nebuchadnezzar had the power to execute whoever he chose to execute. He had the, the, the power to, to cause to be alive, to, to remain alive, whoever he chose. To, to, to put kingdoms down, to rise kingdoms. But he needed to learn. Remember, we talked about the fact that in this, though, that the, the, the greatest problem was that of pride. And so 
God began to reveal himself. He began to reveal what the future was going to hold to this king. Okay? And then he revealed to him um, that he was more powerful than him through the, the act of the, the friends, uh, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, as they refused to bow down to the idol which, which uh, Nebuchadnezzar had made and demanded that everybody would and that whoever didn't would go into the, the, the burning fiery furnace. And even when he went to do that, he said to them, he says, and what God is there that can deliver you from that? So Yahweh realized, uh, revealed to him the one true God can, because he was not only the God who revealed the secrets, he was also the God who shielded from the flames, okay? That he was more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar's God. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar's beginning to, to realize. But he needed, again, one more powerful lesson in his life, and that's the one that's referred to today, with Belshazzar, and that is that when Nebuchadnezzar became full of himself, he had the warning. He received the warning first from the voice of God himself, was going to warn him that you need to chill out or this is what's going to happen to you, right? And so, so he was made into, uh, anybody remember the big term, the, the counseling term? It ends with api. Starts with an L. Good job. And ends with a, lycanthropy lycanthropy okay and it technically is a term for a werewolf but in counseling terms it's 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 putting on and 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 having the 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 actions of a wild animal okay and so that's exactly what happened to to belshazzar okay and so he's for seven years seven times pass over him seven years he's out there in and literally they're feeding him like an ox okay like a donkey okay that's what's kind of happening to him and so again i mentioned conjecture pure conjecture, but Daniel was the second most powerful man in the kingdom at that time, okay? And so he's running the kingdom probably, okay? And that's why Nebuchadnezzar at the end of seven years gets the kingdom back, okay? And so we wonder how all that plays out. But sadly, as Nebuchadnezzar is learning this lesson, he's also training up his children. And so you can see on sermon note sheets on my introduction that similarly, David and Solomon were blessed individuals. David was the man after God's own heart. Solomon was who? His son. But what do we know about Solomon? He was also the wisest man, theoretically, man who ever lived, right? Because he asked God for wisdom to be able to rule his people, and God said, I'm going to give it to you. So the wisest man ever. Sadly, though, it is David, who is a man after God's own heart, who still doesn't control the loss of his flesh, right? And so he, he multiplies wives to himself, okay? And Solomon is the, the, the son of Bathsheba, whom he had stolen from Uriah and had Uriah killed, murdered, okay? So, so you start to play this one out a little bit, right? So now we have Solomon, who's the writer of all these Proverbs, and he's saying to his son in the Proverbs, listen to me, follow my counsel. But his son was who? Rechaboam, and I, it's, we read Rehoboam, but it's Rech, the ch, and I think Rech really works real well when you consider what, what happened in his life, okay? And so he, he, he goes to Solomon and says, I, I, you know, he didn't really say this, this is my conjecture, you know, this, I hear what you say, Dad, but I what? I see what you're doing, I see how you've lived, and that's what I want. And so it was in the days of Rechaboam that the kingdom was divided, Okay, because of the sins of Solomon. You can go back and you can look at the, those things, okay? But it was because of the sins of Solomon that the kingdom was divided, okay? And so that God did that, brought judgment. And so eventually then, the judgment was upon the northern tribes and then the judgment was upon the southern tribes. 
Because when that was divided, okay, when Jeroboam the son of Nebat becomes the king of the northern tribes, what does he do? What was the first act he did? He made, made golden calves, two of them. And he said to them, here, O Israel, are your, is your God who delivered you from Egypt. There's a quote that he gave from what, Moses, or what Aaron had declared as well when he made the golden calf. Really kind of an interesting thing. But why did he do that? Well, Solomon had already set the, the stage for that. He was the one who, who made the temple of Chemosh. He was the one who made the temple of Moloch. He was the one who did this for all his wives. He brought the false gods into the land and made temples to them. Does it make sense? So the pattern was already set so that Israel would wind up one day being judged. In fact, all the kings of the north were judged all the way went through. And as you read it, you'll find out that they continued in the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. In other words, they knew it was wrong, but they what? They did it anyway. Sadly, we're going to see this same concept play out with Babylon. Because Nebuchadnezzar, in his indulgence of himself, taught the people under him to become self-indulgent as well. It's going to sound a little bit familiar as we go through this. A self-indulgent people in the judgment of God. Do you get it? The rise and fall of the Roman Empire. If you go to the Roman Empire, you go to all these empires, what causes these empires to fall ultimately is self-indulgence. And it's no different then for Babylon. And we'll talk about that as we go. And sadly, you know, again, as I mentioned last week, I hope that we can learn a lesson from this and so that the judgment of God doesn't have to apply to our lives, that we're not going to be found measured and found wanting as well, which we'll talk about again as we go. So we want to move then into this one that we're looking at today. And the first thing we want to look at is the situation that we have. We have this feast of uh, Belshazzar that, that he's going to have. But before we talk about this, and as we go into it, we need to talk about the fact that it's the feast of who? Belshazzar. So you should ask yourself the question, who is Belshazzar, I'm glad you asked the question, because we want to talk about that, okay? Because Belshazzar isn't physically the son of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? We need to understand that that is a, a, a concept, a terminology in the ancient lands to talk about somebody in the progeny of that, okay? And so he could be your grandfather, he could be your great-grandfather, he could be your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, but they just call him your what? Your father, Okay, so who is Belshazzar? Where does he fit in all this? Because we know that there was another guy that Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah 52, 31, whose name is Evil Merodach, okay, who is the one who releases Jehoiachin from prison in Jehoiachin's 30, 37th year of his imprisonment, okay? Now, I know there's a lot of details you can go look at. It doesn't really matter. But the point is that we know that there are other kings between them, okay? And so this is a, a pretty much of a... a, a chronology at a hierarchy or whatever you want to call that of these kings in the empire okay what's fun from the perspective of belshazzar is so you have this son of nebuchadnezzar who nebuchadnezzar actually threw in prison for a period of time who we know is evil Merodach, but literally was amel marduk his original name given to him was abushum ukim okay and um but there was a lot of intrigue about him in that he was actually um, conspiring against his father, but he wasn't. Who knows? It's just all this is from archaeological things picking up and people trying to interpret, right? Okay. But there's, there's an agreement that there was this intrigue going on. He was thrown in prison and then apparently found to be innocent and he was released. And so this is all conjecture, 
but apparently while he's in prison, because it's probably a political prison, right? It's not like the, the, the bad one. He meets Jehoiachin, who happens to be the exiled king of Israel. And so hence, when he becomes the king, one of the first things he does is releases Jehoiachin. Okay, so the Jehoiachin can then sit at his table and eat with him. So why, though, when we don't know? He was like the third son of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had older sons. Why he, this guy becomes the king, we don't know. But it's just a, how it plays out. Okay? Now, he becomes the king for a period of time. But he has a servant okay, who conspires against him. Now, is it Nerigleser? Is it Nargal Sharizer? Or is it potentially Nebuchadnezzar? I think they're all three the same. Okay? And so there is, again, things being named. And, um, so, for example, um, Jesus, you, we call Jesus, right? But really, in the Hebrew, it's what? Ah, some say, you got, most of you said Yeshua. Can I submit to you that it's not really Yeshua, it's Yahashua. See, Yeshua is just a shortened verb of Yahashua. Okay? And so, anyways, and I can give you some other variants of it. So when you go things, that there are, there are names and there are variations of names, especially in that culture, okay, how that plays out. How these ones play out, did they change their names like Emil uh, Marduk changed his name? Um, I don't know, okay? Emil Marduk changed his name, and I think I have it up there because it was a, a matter of, yeah, praise of Marduk is God, who he had prayed to while he was in prison, and he was trusting to help him get released. And so when he got released, he assumed it was Marduk who did it, and so he, he changed his name to, to give glory to his God. So, but anyways, Nabonidus, we're going to refer to as Nabonidus, okay, um, through all this. Nabonidus is a servant who then conspires to take the, the king, the kingship away. However, the... It had begun with Nabopolassar, who was the father of Nebuchadnezzar, and then there was Nebuchadnezzar, and then there was evil Merodach, right? And so people were kind of a little bit miffed by this, that he actually um, did a coup to take over. So he married the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar to bring legitimacy to his throne. But he also served other gods. So remember, this is a whole pantheon of gods, right? And so... All this is going on. So there's a lot of conjecture of why he did it. I heard when I was in seminary that he was actually one of the first archaeologists and he was he- heading down to Mecca or Medina, Medina, in order to, to, to uncover things. For one reason or another, okay, he's not very popular in the land. And so he chooses to skedaddle, taking, if you would, if you don't mind, I'd like to add this because of last week as we talked about Akkadian, he took, takes the army of Akkad with him. It's kind of an interesting thing. Okay? And so he leaves the, the country how? Weak. Okay? And he places as co-regent his son, whom we know as Belshazzar. Okay? And so, so you got this young king who's all about himself, who's grown up in a, in, a, in a culture of being all about yourself, who really has no military back in, you know, with him anymore. The, 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 the crack troops are all taken with his dad right? And so here he is, he's reigning, okay? And that's where we find ourselves coming into this, right? Now, at the same time, the Medes and the Persians have bound themselves together. Their strength in numbers, right? And so they come together because Babylon's been the big king, on, uh, the big kid on the block, and they need to t- somebody needs to knock the kid down, right? And so they've joined forces. While they're doing this, they're joining, not joining forces, but they're rising their forces, okay? And you need to understand by the end of this, the end of this, that we know that Belshazzar dies that very night, and, and Darius becomes the king. Does anybody know? I'm not sure some of you do know this, but it may be new to some of you. Does anybody know 
how the Medes and the Persians took Babylon? What river? The Euphrates. That's just a little bitty creek. Not. They dammed up the Euphrates. And cut. Now, you say, what well, was that a big deal? Well, because the Babylonians were so good, Nebuchadnezzar was so good with his hanging gardens and everything else, they built the walls of the city, so surrounding, so going over the river, so they always had a water flow. So you couldn't, if you wanted to bring a siege to them, you couldn't do it. Because they always had what? Water. They had survival built into it. So if you wanted to take them out, all you had to do was dam up the Euphrates River and walk under the walls. You say, huh? Well, that's what the Medes, Medes and Persians did. All in one night. It was an amazing thing. It only took about an hour to do it. You know that's wrong. Right. Yeah, you're looking at it like, huh? 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 You, well, while they're partying, we'll get to that later. It's while they're partying that they're coming in, okay? But think about how long it takes to dam up the Euphrates River and divert it, okay? This is going on for a period of time. What's Belshazzar doing? Partying. Because work as they want, they cannot come in. We got this thing. We're invincible. Don't, don't, I mean, do you know why we send teenagers and young 20s into war? For that exact reason, they think they're invincible. Sadly, many of us don't grow, outgrow that when it comes to self-indulgence. We get to the point where I know I don't want to just kind of like throw myself in front of a bullet, you know, only because I want what? To live longer of my self-indulgence. Okay? So he's still the young guy. He hasn't really gotten there yet. Okay? And so they're having their parties. They're, they're enjoying their time. So that's what's happening here. So, so they have the, the Feast of the King. Okay? And in the, the Feast of the King, it leads then to this blasphemy of the king. Okay? Because it says then, while he tasted the wine. Okay? While he tasted the wine. And so I want to take a stop real quick because uh, opportunities to teach when it comes. Okay? Because you need to understand that what happened was he became self-indulgent and he was filling himself with something that caused him to do potentially things that he wouldn't have done when he, if he was in his right mind. Now, this is important because we see in the book of Leviticus, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and you can go to the greater context of this, okay, where you see that the greater context is that Nadab and Abihu had offered um, profane fire to Yahweh, and Yahweh sent lightning or fire or whatever, however it played out, from the throne, and it burnt them to a crisp immediately, okay? So they died on the spot, and then they were dragged outside the camp, okay? But as a result of this, Yahweh comes to, to Aaron, and he says to Aaron that this is the lesson you need to learn from this. Whenever you go to worship me, do not drink wine. Do not drink wine when you go to worship me. Now, this is a big deal. We'll come back to this in a moment, okay? In Proverbs 31... Now, I know everybody, when you hear Proverbs 31, the women cringe because they think Proverbs 31 is all about the Proverbs 31 woman. Well, that's the end part of the, pro, the, the chapter. But the beginning part of the chapter are the words to King Lemuel from his mother. And, he, and she says to him, Son, it's not for kings and it's not for princes to drink wine, lest it clouds your judgment. Hmm. The last passage I've got there, and I could go through a lot more passages, like from Ephesians, where it tells us to not be filled with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. But Mark 6, 21 to 28, is the foolishness of Herod. It's an example, of, again, of another individual who didn't listen to the wisdom, 
Okay? And so what do we know that Herod did while he was partying in the same thing as Belshazzar? His, good, Herodias. He had Herodias come in. She must have been decent looking. That's kind of a seductress, kind of sultry kind of girl. His daughter, what I say? His daughter Herodias, though. So, the same, well, not his wife, but his daughter, the daughter Herodias. Yeah, I think same concept. And so, anyways, but the daughter come in and had her dance for him, and she pleased him so much, and we can, you can just let your mind wonder how all that played out, right? She pleased him so much that he said that he would give her anything up to half of his kingdom. Do you think he would have done that without drinking and feeling good? Okay, and that's when she asks, she goes to her mom and says, what, what do you want? And she says, I want the, the, the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And so the girl comes in and says, I want John, the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. How many of you girls think that that's what you'd kind of want? You'd probably think, Mom, no, I think we could probably do better than that. I mean, I'd rather have the whole guy. Give me, give me a guy. You know, I know the head of a John the Baptist. Anyways. But anyways, so, but that's what happens. And he cringes because he sobers up immediately, right? Because he realizes I've been had by my own self-indulgence. Well, not just my wife, by my own self-indulgence. Does that make sense? I did something. I spoke something rationally that I wouldn't have spoken before. Anyways, the Bible says that we, as believers, are both priests and princes. And I believe there's great wisdom for us to heed the word that is given to the priest and the prince. To not drink wine lest it cloud our judgment. That's why Paul says to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit and not with wine. Putting foreign substances in my body cloud my judgment. You can take this forever you want, okay? But I take this as a wisdom passage, wisdom concept, okay? And I see multiple places within God's Word where he continually reveals when people didn't heed this advice in the results that it brings, okay? So take that for whatever it's worth, okay? It's while he tasted the wine. Secondly, then, they brought in the vessels. Well, what are the vessels? The vessels, and you can look up these passages later, but these are the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar brought from the temple of Yahweh to Babylon when he sacked Jerusalem, okay? Not the first time, not necessarily the fir- when I think that he brought Daniel over was the first time, and that's not when he sacked the temple, but it was later, a few years later, when he... He totally sacked Jerusalem, and he brought the, the, the articles from the temple back over into, um, into Babylon. But apparently, Nebuchadnezzar never treated them blasphemously. Does that make sense? Okay. Belshazzar, though, has a penchant, has something in his burr with, against Yahweh. And I, I want to present this just straight out, because I think we're going to see this. Okay. Somewhere along the line, Daniel goes to being from second in the kingdom to what? Unknown. Technically unknown. I don't think he's really unknown. A nobody. It's like with Joseph. So Exodus chapter 1 starts off with, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And everybody takes it. It must be so much longer that, you know, that Joseph by this time is out of the memory. No, I think Joseph's still alive. I showed you part of my chronologies last week. Okay. So in that chronology, it's very clear to me that Joseph's still alive at that moment. That actually the persecution of Israel began while Joseph was still living. Okay? And that's why at the end of Genesis, 
he says to his brothers, or to the, the relatives, anyways, but his brothers, again, using that terminology of how they called each other, okay? He says, Yahweh's going to deliver you one day. And when he does, take up my bones. Remember to take my bones with you. Okay? It's already going on. So there's a, a point where he was in good with a certain Pharaoh, okay? And you can, again, go through those, um, the, the study of the um, dynasties of, of Egypt, which is really kind of exciting, and you're going to find that there's actually this one uh, servant, this one um, uh, administrator in Egypt, who during that time, the Pharaohs become monotheistic. Kind of fun. But then all of a sudden, he's like nowhere to be found anymore, okay? I think that guy is Joseph, okay? I can't prove it, but that's me putting all that together. So I think that, the, again, the, the world doesn't want to bring it back into biblical history, but I think God's word is borne out through archaeology. So anyways, same thing's happening here with Daniel, okay? I don't think Daniel just, like, it's been so long. I think the kings have made a decision. Nebuchadnezzar's gone, and they don't want this guy. Does it make sense? So whether it was um, Abel... Uh, Marduk, uh, uh, Merodach, Amol, Marduk, whatever you want, however you want to refer to him, or whether it was um, then Nebuchadnezzar, um, who did it, I don't know. But for some reason, Belshazzar has it in his burr, um, his craw, to, to mock the God of the Jews. Is it possibility because he knows it's the God of Daniel? I think it's a possibility. Make sense? That, who is this guy? I don't know, but he's got it in his craw that he wants to mock this God, okay? And so he, he, while he is drunk, while he's tasting the wine, while he's trying to, to look bravado in front of all of his lords and his wives and stuff like that, he then calls for these things, these goblets, to be brought before him because they're going to drink from these because he's what? Say again? He's the king, and he is the king. And, you know, he, there's not these other gods. I mean, pff, I can't believe these fairy tales, these wise fables, you know, of, of guys who, who uh, tell dreams and interpret dreams and all this kind of stuff. And I think we're going to see that as we go, okay? So, so this goes out, okay? And so we get into the judgment phase of this. And the first thing we see is Yahweh's interruption. So all of this is going on, right, that that Belshazzar's got this attitude thing going on. He's bringing in the cups, and everybody's starting to drink out of them, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a hand. Must have been pretty physical looking, right? Because everybody saw it. Either that was a mass hallucination, right? But probably not, okay? This finger comes out, and he writes on the wall. Now, how do we know this has got to be real? Because... There's a period of time where then the, all the priests and everybody else come in and they try to read the what? The writing. So the writing must have been there, right? And then nobody can do that. And then there's a period of time and Daniel comes in. So the writing's got to be on the wall. This has got to be what? Literal. This is an allegory. Does it make sense? This is not a figure. This is not an illustration. This is, not, this is a literal thing that's happening. Okay? This is important for us. Because you're going to hear so many things about people trying to interpret things and try, you know, put things off. This is kind of literal. This is going on for a period of time. It's happening. Okay? And so this hand, what you, so right now, we're sitting here, right? And I start mocking God. Okay? And I start rising myself up as God and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, a hand comes out of no place and starts writing. What's your reaction? Uh, yeah, 
That's exactly what it is. Now, he's drinking. His reaction is for his knees to knock and his loins to be loosened. You understand what that means, right? He, he phew, himself. And so you would too, okay? And so, then he writes this, this hand writes this writing that nobody can understand, which is really kind of interesting, okay? So there's been conjecture as well on how that must have been written in such a way that he wasn't able to read it. I don't know whether how that played out, whether it was written then from, we write from left to right, Hebrew is from right to left, and so is Chaldean, okay? Because it's, again, in that Achadian um, form. And so it's from um, right to left. So some have conjectured that maybe it went, like, in the Chinese form, going vertically. Yes? Okay? And so maybe that it was written in another way such that they wasn't... I don't know. And so I'm not going to conjecture for you why they didn't understand it, okay? But it's written there, okay? And so so the knees are knocking, and all this kind of happening in... And all of a sudden he realizes that, whoa, this is something big going on here, right? But he doesn't yet know what it is. He hasn't put two and two together. Have you met people like that? They're they're, they're mocking God and all this kind of stuff, and God brings them a sign. And and in their ignorance, they're just not able to put two and two together and figure out that God's trying to get their attention. Okay? And it needs to have a servant of God to come and what? explain it. Help him to see what's actually going on, right? Well, he doesn't do that because he is the king and he has gotten rid of, or somebody has gotten rid of, who? Daniel, right? So who does he call? Well, the exact same thing. He goes all the way back to his roots of Nebuchadnezzar. Who did Nebuchadnezzar call? He called the magicians, the sorcerers, right? To come in. And so that's exactly what he does. He calls for these people to come in and they're not able to what? They can't explain it. They can't interpret it. They, can't, they, they have nothing. There's nothing they can do, even with the words that are written for them. You know, before it's like, tell us the dream and we'll give you an interpretation. Well, there they got words. They, they, can't, they can't even fake it. Isn't that kind of interesting? It's in such a way that they can't even fake it. Or maybe they might, and they don't, want to have, they don't have the chutzpah to tell the king what it says. Either way, they say they're not able to do this. Right? So now we have Daniel's interpretation. But before we get to it, I think there's kind of an interesting thing here. Because there must have been a great disturbance going on, such that the queen hears about it, right? Now, why isn't she already there? The king's there. Why isn't the queen there? Because this is probably the queen mother. His wives are there. But this potentially is the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Make sense? or even the, the, one of the wives of Nebuchadnezzar. We're not told specifically, but probably this is a queen mother. Okay, And so she comes in knowing exactly what happened to dad or husband. Does that make sense? Okay, And so she realizes what's going on. Isn't that kind of interesting? She walks in, there's no doubt. She knows what's going on. <laughs> that God that was getting the attention of your grandfather is trying to get your attention too. She doesn't say it that way. But she says, O king, there is someone who is in your, what, kingdom, who what? In whom is the spirit of the gods. Okay? And specifically, though, she says, as we come to this, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance be changed. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the what god? 
the holy God. Isn't that kind of interesting? This, this true God has continually to elevate, and they understand that this is a God who is set apart. So the word Kadesh literally is the word for, um, we translate as holy, but the word holy means to be set apart. This is the holy Bible, right? But literally, Bible comes from the Greek word biblios, which just means book. Holy means set apart. This is a set apart book. Does that make sense? That's really what holy Bible means. So you are um, called a saint. In the Greek, it's hagios, and then um, in the uh, in the Old Testament, sometimes it's called Kadashim. And that is, you are a holy one. You are supposed to be one who is set apart. Okay? So this is the set apart God. This is the holy God. Okay? He's not like all the other gods. This is the one true God. Right? So in this Daniel, okay, and note, uh, for example, she calls him that as well. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him the chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Belteshazzar. No. What does she say? Daniel, whom your father named Belteshazzar. But she knows what? His true name. And she initially refers to him by his true name. She knows who Daniel is. Do you get it? And she knows who to turn to when she wants truthful advice and counsel. I wonder... Again, I don't know. This is all conjecture. This is Bob just ruminating and thinking through passages and kind of... I wonder if, if, if she and Daniel still met together at times. She knew him. First thing that came to her brain. King, you guys put away the one that you should have kept. Make sense? And he's still here. He's still around. This is the guy you need to call, right? So he's got a great... Um, Testimony. So now she says, whom your father named Belshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So what's her testimony of Daniel? She knows he'll do it. Not just that he can, but he will. He will give you the interpretation. It's not a matter like these other guys, you don't know. But this guy, he's got the spirit of the Holy God in him, and he's able to do all these things, and all you've got to do is call him. Do you realize that we have that opportunity to go before the throne of God at all times? He's promised to lead us into all, all truth. Why don't we avail ourselves of that? I mean, we're no better than Belshazzar sometimes. The ability to have an answer is right there in front of him, but he refuses to go to the one true God to get it. Now, I understand it would be the servant of the one true God at that moment. But we look everywhere else. We look through the world for an answer to things. First things, Google. Siri, da, 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 da. how do I get to heaven? Do you ever do, they don't do that anymore. But when, when it first started, it was always fun to say, Siri, how do I get to heaven? You know, and, and it, it was all this kind of stuff. But anyways, now it's, I'm not designed to answer a question like that. Anyways, <laughs> I got into too many problems. And so, but that's our first reaction. You want an answer to something? What are you going to do? Turn to Google. What did you do 30 years ago? Go to the library. Maybe. Or go to other people. My question still is, did you go to God? 
did you go to God? And again, I've shared this over the times, how many times God has revealed stuff to me, even in the, in the home improvement business. He's the master craftsman. He knows everything. D- does that make sense? I mean, I understand I use YouTube videos and that kind of stuff too, but my first step, God trained me, my first step was always to what? Pray. Pray. He may use a YouTube video to answer my request. He may just give me a dream or a vision to answer my request. Whatever it is, I know my God will lead me into all truth. He promised. If he doesn't do it, he's lying. And my God is asudes. He's not a liar. Does it make sense? So Jesus said in his prayer for us to the Father to be sanctified, for us to be set apart, sanctified, made holy, through his truth, by his truth. And then he stated, your word is truth. So if this is truth, and this is where I can get a lot of my answers, do I avail myself of this? Or am I foolish and unlearned? A lot of people think we're not, I'm not, I'm not learned. I didn't go to college. There's a whole lot more people that are smarter because they read this book than people who have multiple degrees. Do you get it? All right, I'll leave that horse there. So, the testimony of the queen, but then the derision of the king. Because now, Belshazzar calls for this Daniel, right? And so look what it says. And you say, well, how do you get the derision here? Well, so, verse 13, Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Note words, words are important. Are you that Daniel, that Daniel? I looked at all the different translations too, and it has that and everything on one of them. Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah? Now, there's other words for captives there, you know, slaves, da 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 da, you know, exiles, whatever. But are you that Jew? Is what he's playing out. Are you that Daniel who's a Jew? Who's a slave? A slave, Jewish slave. Are you that Daniel whose God isn't able to even protect you? Who allowed his own nation to be conquered by mine? Now, I know I'm reading between the lines here. I'm, I'm conjecturing. But that's, this, is the, this is the sense that I get out of this, that he's talking to, to Daniel right now. I can't believe I am brought to this place where I'm even bringing you into my presence. We got rid of you. Are you that Daniel? And then he says, down in verse 16, I have heard of you. I have heard of you. In other words, it hasn't changed my opinions. It hasn't changed my thoughts. I haven't done anything else. But I heard of you. The queen just came in and told me about you. You know, whatever. You know, I've heard about you. And then he says, in the middle of that verse, he says, now, if you can, what did she say? He will. He says, if you can. Do you remember when Jesus... It come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and the, um, his, there was a crowd around his, the, the nine of his disciples, and they were, I think, about ready to be a stoned, okay? Because they weren't able to, to, to cast a demon out of this boy that the father had brought, right? And Jesus then talks to the father, and the father says to him, and if you can do anything, it was a broad hush over the crowd. Probably not. But anyway, in my brain, I just think, if I'm, watching, I'm making a video on this thing, I'll go, And he comes like, if I can do anything, is if you can believe. If you will just believe, then all things are what? 
possible. Being chastened, the father says, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. (laughs) Not so, Belshazzar. Not so, Belshazzar. Belshazzar is so full of himself that he cannot get the rebuke that's about to be placed upon him. So we have the derision of the king, because now we go to the castigation of the king. Because Daniel now responds, right? And look how Daniel responds to him. I mean, this is a guy who's not worrying about dying. He doesn't care. The worst thing that this king can do to him is the best thing this king can do for him. Castigation. It means to repudiate somebody. It means to, 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 to put them in their place. Okay? Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Because Belshazzar said, well, you know, I offered for anybody to be the second in, 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 in line, or third, third in the kingdom. And so I want to say that real fast. I meant to mention that. What's third? Why is it third? Daniel used to be second. Why now why no third? Because it's co-regent. Good job. That's exactly right. So Nabonidus is actually the king. Belshazzar is only the co-regent. So he can't tell them number two, because if he makes them number two, what does that mean? Yeah, that's exactly right. He becomes number three. Can't make that happen. So we'll make you number three. Okay? So anyway, so he says to him, he says, um, Daniel answered and said to him, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. In other words, I don't want one little thing. Does that remind you of anybody else biblically? How about Abraham? After he delivers Lot, and the king of Sodom comes out and, and says to him, so magnanimously, since he'd just been beaten. Anyways, I'll leave off what I was going to say, wiped out. Anyways, and so he comes out, and he's so magnanimous, and he says, you can have all the things that you have gotten, but the people are still mine. Really? Really? You're going to, like, tell the guy who just delivered all these people? You couldn't deliver them? You got, anyways, kicked, and... You, you got wiped out, and now you're going to tell the guy who just conquered all those kings that you couldn't touch that he's, got to, he's giving back everything? Abraham's like, dude, I don't want even a, a, a thong, a, a, a sandal, a, a little thong from the sandal of anything of yours. I swore to God I didn't want to take anything from you so you wouldn't have the ability to say that you, you made me powerful. He said, but the stuff now that the... The guys who went with me, the Amorites, I'm trying, my brain is blanking on their names. Uh, anybody remember? Who went with Abraham to the, to the fray? I'll know them the minute I hear them. The Amorites that went with him. Anyways, he says they can take what they want. But otherwise, I don't want anything. That's Daniel. Daniel's falling in the feet of Abraham. He says, I don't want nothing from you. Now, isn't it interesting? Because he accepted him from who? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's heart was different than Belshazzar's. Daniel takes a stand against this unrepentant king. He says, I don't want anything that you can give me. Nothing. And then he says, O king, verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all the people, so on and so forth, which we talked about, right? Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, hardened in pride, in other words, God was doing what? God was doing a work on him. And he was, and he was getting it. But then all of a sudden his what? His pride got lifted up. 
right? And he starts getting hardened a little bit, right? And he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with the grass of oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whom he chooses. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although what? You knew it. You knew it all. Okay, child of God. Son of God, joint heir of Jesus, what do you know? And yet you don't humble your heart under, hand of, under the hand of the mighty God. Do you realize, again, Second Corinthians chapter 5 is very clear that even we as believers are going to stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to even account for what we've done in the flesh? It's not a matter of whether I'm worried about whether I'm going to heaven or not. It's a matter of that I know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that what I've done in, in my flesh and the wood, hay, and the stubble, it's going to be burnt up. Do you get it? All the audacity that we as the children of God have before the hand of the mighty God. It's a matter of grace. I'm under grace. Once saved, always saved. I can continue to sin, Romans 6 verse 1, because then grace will... Abound. God forbid. God forbid. David, the end of, I think it's Psalm 18. In Psalm 18, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. 19, I always do that. Psalm 19. He says at the end, his prayer to Yahweh at the end is to keep me from presumptuous sins. You guys know it. I, the minute I started, you know that. Keep me from presumptuous sins. What's presumption? You're presuming upon the grace of God. Belshazzar knew this. He knew what had happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And yet he chose to ignore it and to reject it. And Daniel had the boldness. He had the chutzpah. To stand before the most powerful man in the world, theoretically, at this time. We're going to find out he's not, right? (laughs) For a few hours. That's exactly right. And to boldly proclaim the truth of God's word, because this man didn't need to be toyed with. I wonder, well, I think he does. <laughs> he knows his time's up. This guy needs to repent when? Now. He doesn't have a couple days. Time for repentance is now. So Hebrew says, now is the day of what? Salvation. And sometimes we beleaguer our willingness to tell somebody the truth. Because we're worried about hurting their feelings. And then they die. And it's too late. They need to hear truth. The flip side of the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is the wages of sin is death. And people need to hear that. So Daniel brings castigation to, to, to Belshazzar. But then he gives them the explanation of the writing. This is what he really wants, right? And so... He gives him the explanation. The first thing he says is, is you have many, okay? Many is the, the word not just for measured, okay? But it is um, also used in the book of Daniel primarily for appointed, okay? They were appointed. So Daniel was appointed. Um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were appointed, okay? 
And the idea of it is that when you appoint somebody to a task, you, at first thing that you do is you do what? Say it again, Gil. You assess them. You measure them to find out whether there's someone who is fitting for the task. Well, God has done that. And God is doing that with every single one of us. Do you get that? And he has done it to Belshazzar. Belshazzar is getting a judgment seat before a judgment seat. Are you, are you tracking? Would to God that we had that privilege sometimes. And so, does anybody know what Daniel means? God is my judge. Isn't that kind of fun? Okay. So he's standing there. God is my judge before him. And so he says to him, he says, many, you have been measured, right? And you've been what? Found wanting. We'll get the tech on a second. But you've been measured. And in my mind, you've been appointed. It's too late. You had opportunities. And now the hand is struck. And I'm here to proclaim your doom. Tekel. You've been found lacking, wanting. Okay? On your sermon note sheet, there's a lot of um, verses here. Primarily from the book of Proverbs first. Okay? Where it's used, and there's many more that I could put on there. But it refers to an individual who is lacking understanding. Who is wanting of understanding. They will not listen to wisdom. And because they will not listen to wisdom, they lack understanding. This is exactly Belshazzar at this moment. God has measured him, and he's been found wanting, lacking. But you know what's interesting is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Yes? And so if I turn myself to the one true God, to Yahweh, who Daniel was representing, then I will get and I will understand and I will not be what? Lacking. That's why Psalm 23, verse 1 says, Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not lack, want, tekel. Do you get it? I will not, or at least the, the, the Hebrew equivalent of it, I will not be wanting. I will not be lacking if I turn to Yahweh. Belshazzar hadn't done that. And so now as God puts him in the balances of judgment, in the scale of judgment, he's found very wanting. Apart from Jesus Christ, may I share the fact that every single one of us will be found what? Wanting. Romans 3.23 is very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the, the glory of God. In that scale, we always think, well, my good works outweigh my bad works. Wrong scale. Wrong scale. Guess what God puts in the other side of the scale? His righteousness. His righteousness. You want to weigh who you are? Put all your good works on there. Put them on. Even carry it. Stretch it out. Go into the gray area. Bring them all. Put them on. And you know what happens? You will always be found Wanting, because as James 2.10 says, even if you obey the whole law and yet you stumble at one point, you're guilty of, of it all. You will be found wanting apart from 
the righteousness of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's the blessing of the whole thing. That at this very moment, in that scale, the righteousness of God is there, and I'm like this. But when I come to Christ, when Bob got saved, I, I didn't know I was supposed to say all those words about, I state your name, solemnly swear that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I said, God, if you can save this wicked soul, I'm yours. That's all I said. And at that very moment, do you know what happened? He wiped out my works and placed his righteousness on the scale in my stead. And now as God looks at me eternally, he doesn't look at me through my works. I'm not trusting in my works. I can't trust in my works. If I trust in my works, my own abilities, I'm done. I'm doomed. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his righteousness, which he's extended to me, the scales are balanced. Because who is Jesus? What is his righteousness? He's God in the flesh. It's God's righteousness. It's on both sides. You get it? The balance is level. The balance is even. But only in Christ. So if you are trusting, I don't know. I mean, I say, oh, I look around and say, oh, well, they're all believers. I don't know that. God knows your heart. And right now, you know what God's saying to you. And my question to you is, are you found wanting? Are you found wanting right now? First and foremost, we're talking about salvation. But then secondly, as a believer, have you fallen back into the trap? of judging yourself on other people, thinking, oh, I'm okay, rather than missing the mark and understanding that God's desire for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the pursuit. If God was to weigh you in the scale right now, if God brought a Daniel to your life, what would he be declaring about who you are at this moment? We get to the final word, Perez. Ufarsin, because, and Chuck brought this up before the, the service and asked me about it, and I mean, I never thought about it because I just read it, but the, the U is actually the Vav, um, which is an and. So it's many, many, tekel, and Perez. But we're transliterating it, so we, the Vav becomes the U. So U Perez, Ufarsin. Make sense? So don't, don't let that bother you. All of a sudden it's Ufarsin, and then he says Perez, because that's really how it's playing out. Okay? So it's Perez, or Paras, depends on how you want to say that. And it's, a, it's a, a dull word here, which is really kind of fun, because it is used primarily in Leviticus chapter 11. Do I have that up there? No, it's in your sermon notes. So um, Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy, for a cloven hoof. So when they're talking about the things that they're allowed to eat, they were allowed to eat um, the stuff with a what? Divided cloven hoof. Uh, 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 a hoof, uh, a foot that was Perez. Make sense? But it is also the word that is used for the nation of Persia. So he comes back and says, you've been measured twice, because remember when we talk about Hebrew, okay, same as Chaldean, why does he say it twice? Say again? Emphasis, that's right, emphasis. So good, better, and best, right? So many, many, boom. You have been measured. You're lacking. 
and now you are being divided. Your nation is being divided, and it's going to be given to the, the Medes and the Persians. But specifically, here, it's given to the what? The Persians. Okay? And so, now so we have that happening, right? But we want to then go into, because at the very end, we have this fulfillment. Now, I'm not worrying about the fulfillment of Daniel getting all those things. It doesn't really matter, okay? He didn't really want them. It didn't matter. And they were only going to last for a few moments. And um, Chuck will talk next week about Darius a little bit more. But what I want to talk about real quick, I don't have a lot of time. Again, you have um, some of these on sermon note sheets, okay? Is the present fulfillment, the initial fulfillment, however you want to state that, okay, was happening right at that moment. Now, this wasn't something that God came up with on the spot. Remember, we talked about this when we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar. All the way back in Isaiah 13 and 14, we read from Isaiah 14, a section of it, when we were talking about um, Lucifer, right? And, and how he wanted to be like the Most High God, but it was in the context of a prophecy regarding the king of Babylon, before Babylon ever became the world empire. So all these passages up here, okay, from Isaiah, are all passages prior to Babylon becoming the world empire, where God was declaring that he was going to bring judgment upon Babylon. Okay? This is all kind of cold when God is dealing with us, because God is the one, ultimately, who rises up the nations and tears them back down. And so he knew, this didn't take him by surprise, he knew that Babylon would become the, the, the empire. He told that to Israel, that they would be taken up by Babylon. But then at the end of 70 years, do I have that on here, Jeremiah? At the end of 70 years, then he would wipe out Babylon. Okay? So, so again, in two weeks from now, I think it is, um, maybe a couple more weeks than that, Daniel will be reading this passage. Okay, and he'll be praying about this passage. And God is going to give him wisdom about this passage. It's really kind of fun. A prophet of God reading the writings of the prophet of God, and we get to read about it today. It's really kind of cool stuff, okay? But anyways, so God's already put out what he's going to be doing with Babylon. All he's doing at this very moment is fulfilling it. Do you get it? Okay? This measured, measured, found wanting has to do with more than just Belshazzar. It has to do with the nation. It has to do with the entire kingdom. The nation is being weighed in the balance. The nation is being found wanting. Do you understand what's happening here? It's the nation that's going to be judged and destroyed at this very moment. Because the nation has become totally self-absorbed. Again, does this sound a little bit familiar? Do you think about where our roots begin as a nation and where we are right now? How self-absorbed as a people we are. Do you know Rome, how Rome fell? The water wasn't dried up, it was what? No, not with Rome. Frozen. The water was frozen up. And the, the Gauls, the barbarians they, as they referred to them, came across the frozen river while they were partying and sacked the city. We are no longer the head. We are now the tail. You can read Deuteronomy 28 to 30. Read the blessings and the curses. Nations aren't in fear of us anymore. They hold us in derision. Because we no longer serve the one true God. We have chosen to go the way of Babylon. See, you've got to go all the way back to the roots of Babylon. Again, I mentioned a little bit last week, in the plains of Shinar. Who landed and went to the plains of Shinar? Anybody know? Who landed in the mountains of Ararat? Noah. And his descendants traveled to the plains of Shinar 
And there they built a what? Tower. We refer to it as the Tower of Babylon. Babel. Where the people chose to set themselves up their own gods in lieu of the one true God. They chose to worship the creation rather than the creator. They chose to worship the sun, the moon, the stars. They chose to worship the plants. They chose to worship the rain. They chose to worship the fire rather than the God who created it all. Romans chapter 1 declares the same thing upon any nation who chooses to exchange the glory of God for the creation. He says that God will hand them over to their own lasciviousness, their own self-pleasure. And the end result of this, Romans chapter 1, check me out on it, is homosexuality. The nation will embrace homosexuality. When men will exchange the use of a woman for another man, when women will exchange the use of a man for another woman. And I don't say this in judgment. I say this sadly. I'm watching my nation fall under the same judgment. People say this is a Christian nation. It's not a Christian nation. We have been under the wrath of God for a couple decades already. But we're so self-absorbed that we don't even see it. We're like Babylon, partying while the enemy is diverting the river. And sadly, I think many of us believers are in that party, are playing the game. We're going to see Daniel next week, praying in the midst of it all. We're going to see Daniel fasting for 21 days, looking for an answer for God. Not next week, but in a few weeks. We're going to look at this man of God and how he's responding and, and why God gives him wisdom, why God gives him insight. Living a life of separation. There is then the future, the future fulfillment of this as well. As we see in the book of Revelation, again, we don't have time to go through all this. You can go back and listen to the messages on Revelation and go through all this. But Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. That's quoted, quoting actually from the book of Isaiah, um, which declares that prophetically. Um, ahead of time, but it's brought back into the book of Revelation, talking about in the future days, our days, potentially, the days ahead of us. Not necessarily that I'll be here, because that's after the, the um, in the second half of the, the tribulation period, I don't think I'll be here for that. But even if all that is in my lifetime, does it make sense? Even if that happens rapidly at this moment, I won't be here. But Babylon, whether as another city who comes through that gold, silver, bronze, uh, iron, iron and clay, whether that's the Babylon at that moment, and it's not necessarily Babylon literally, or whether it is Babylon literally. Again, I handle that when we're going through the book of Revelation. Um, it doesn't matter either way. But we're told that Babylon is huge in the end days. There is a future fulfillment of this as well, where Babylon will be destroyed. So in the end, how do you treat the things of God? Are you treating them disdainfully? And so are there things that God is doing that you just ignore? Have you been measured and found wanting? Again, I don't want to walk away from something. I know it's like the, how not to draw a crowd. 
you know? And so I had people give me some links lately, and, uh, you know, the, the, it's the ones who, and they make you feel good, and that's good. I mean, I, I want to make people feel good. I don't want you to make you feel bad all the time. But you know what? God's word has judgment in it, too. And there's a time to assess yourself and ask yourself, am I in this position being found wanting? Are you living a life of godly character and respect such that others turn to you for wisdom and advice? That's something to think about. Do people turn to you to get counsel? Or do they avoid you? Because maybe your counsel is really not from God. They, these unbelievers knew where Daniel's counsel came from. And when they couldn't get wisdom from any other source, they turned to him. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the sacrifice, the redemption of Christ that we are able to celebrate this morning as well. Thank you for what you have done for us, Lord, through your death, your burial, your, your resurrection. But Lord, we can become complacent um, in your grace too many times. Forgive us for that. Lord, if there are areas in my life in the lives of each of us individually and then as an assembly, Lord, that we are lacking. Lord, I, I, I want it to be brought to my attention for myself, anyway, that I can confess those things before you, Lord. I want to be conformed to your image and in your likeness. I thank you for what you've done for me, Lord. And I pray that as an assembly we have that desire as well, that we would not be content and just being maybe just a little bit better than others. But Lord, that we would understand that your goal, your passion for us, is that we'll be brought as a new man into the conformance of Christ, as a body, as an assembly. And that we would all do our parts that, that you have placed us within the assembly to do in order to, to bring us to that. And Lord, that we would um, rebuke when rebuke is needed. We would encourage when encouragement is needed. Lord, that we would live lives individually and as an assembly such that others might turn to us looking for your wisdom and your truth, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.